I'm Laura. And I'm Georgiana. And this is Decanterbury Tales. Hello. Hello. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It will be whatever day of the week it is when y'all listen to this, but for us, it's, it's a Monday. Monday. It's a Monday. It's the start of the week. It is. It is. What a start it has been. Uh, then, welcome to the Canterbury Tales. <laughs> Where we drink wine and read books. We do. Uh, this is a boozy book club episode where we chat about our month's book pick and the wine we paired with it and usually interview the author or someone relevant to the topic. And today we are in, uh, interviewing the author of We Were Never Here by uh, Andrea Bartz, Andy, and it was so much fun talking to her. She it was really gave us the 411. We got a deep dive. It was a deep dive. So our uh, one, our little banter regarding the book is going to be short because we have a lengthy book. It's basically we had a book club with the author. So that was amazing. It's it's a podcaster's dream. Book podcaster's dream. Seriously, it really was. It was phenomenal. Um, but you know, before we get into our meat and potatoes, uh, we banter, and I have a little like, little like breaking news, like horns, horns, horns. I know. I'm so pumped for this. Um, we have our first in person appearance ever. Uh, as a podcast. And so I'm really excited. Uh, you will catch us on at the Mississippi State Capitol on the lawn on August 20th for the Mississippi Book Festival Literary Lawn Party. Um, really pumped. Uh, Georgina and I have not made an appearance together at all uh, since Ever. we started this podcast over a year ago. We have not seen each other in two years. Yes, we have not seen each other since uh, July, June. June of 2020, where we locked ourselves in your condo during a hurricane. Uh, I, it was so much fun. It was really fun. We just closed the storm shutters and you never knew what time of day it was. We just cooked and drank and cooked some more and that was about it and survived. Felt felt like Mushu when like we rolled those things up. I live. Yes, every time. just kind of like wafted in. It was like, Oh, there's a whole wide world out there. I have oh, wow. really? a whole Netflix shows. Or like at that time we like raised it three inches to see if it was still storming. It's like we hit the little button and the storm shutters raised up three inches and you and just see water. And we're like, nope, pour it back down, <laughs> back to the couch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the Mississippi book festival is on August 20th. Uh, so it is on the lawn at the Mississippi State Capitol. We will not have wine with us, but you can swing by our booth. You can uh, win some exclusive to Canterbury Tales merch. Boom, boom. We have merch now. The little merch, it's like pins and buttons and stuff, y'all. Don't get, don't get ahead of yourselves. Stickers. Um, stickers. Uh, you can talk with us, uh, take some pictures. We're going to try to have a little photo op. And then you'll also be able to take a seat and record a sound bite to be featured in our August episode. So definitely mark your calendars for August 20th and hang out with us at the Mississippi Book Festival. And come with questions, come with book recommendations, y'all. I mean, we're we're picking books left and right, but 
y'all y'all read too so tell us what you want us to talk about because it's an interactive activity okay yeah i want i i get so jazzed when someone gives me a new book to read so like be the person that makes my day heck yes i'm here for that we're we're now an experience um we want uh we want audience activity audience participation so get on your computers get on your social medias and tell us what we need to read or drink next dance monkey <laughs> absolutely uh georgina what have you been up to since last we spoke Oh, what have I been up to? I have been enjoying fun employment, like settling in. I um, am actually going on vacation to Seattle and Olympic National Park, which I'm really jazzed about. Uh, just going to be nice to like turn off the phone and go to the uh, the founding place of one of the great, great literary pieces of our time, Twilight. I know. I'm, I am so hopeful that there's just going to be like a twilight, like art wall that I can take, or I can like take a picture with an art wall or something, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure there's like a twilight tour that you can take. I have self-guided self-guided because I have not found it online. They don't really care that much about twilight apparently. Maybe they're not proud to be the the home of Twilight, but very jazzed about that. I am also very excited in Seattle. I'm going to look at the Grey's Anatomy house. There we go. And then I am going to the cliff where she builds the house of candles and the site of the, uh, the house that they build. So I'm very excited for my Grey's Anatomy moments because I, I don't know we talked about how big of a fan you are of Grey's Anatomy on the show but Georgiana is the fan the fan I, of Grey's Anatomy I have I did trivia for Grey's Anatomy with a bunch of Grey's Anatomy enthusiasts shout out y'all y'all know and we won first place by a landslide we by only got, the we only got one question wrong and we could not remember the name that, or the paper that Meredith and Christina put on the trailer to have their their time. And it's dermatology. And duh, upon leaving, when they told us, we were like, oh, obviously. But like, <laughs> it, it, it's, my fandom is real. Um, so I'm just excited to get out and go and an airplane read, really. That's one of my for... favorite parts of traveling now is the book that I can read, the books, plural, that I will read in the way to get to the vacation. Uh, mm-hmm. Been a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds exciting. I can't wait. Definitely, um, if you recreate any Twilight scenes of you being like moody in the forest, please, please record it. I will record it. I'll pause with a Volvo. I'll give you a whole like thing. Maybe I'll put like a little bronzer on Alex. He's kind of pale. I can make him shiny. Please. A little highlight, a little highlight well, action. He would never. He sparkle. would never. But I'd be like, Alex, it's time for you to sparkle. <laughs> I like when you step into the sun and shine. <laughs> Go lay in a field while you're in Seattle, please. Go lay in the field and look at each other with like the wildflowers around us. 
God. <laughs> it's silence. And but I am gonna go to La Push. Oh. oh wow. All right. We're taking, we're taking it back to high school literature. I'm so ready. Um wow, I'm <laughs> I'm very jealous. She she's like, I can't make words, y'all. Y'all are so freaking ridiculous. Oof. Okay. Well, I just got back from the beach. Um one of the longest vacations it is the most consecutive days I have taken off of work since I started my job almost three years ago so it was roughly nine days so but I mentally checked out at 10 so you know it was it was really nice it was family time it was really great I read some books I finished all of Birds of California while on that trip which it's a short read but you know start to finish just like kind of whoosh through that one which was nice uh, I did, I took a lot of yoga. Once again, I love when I, we go to the beach, there's a yoga studio there called glow yoga, which I joke. Um, somebody said this once to me and it is now what I use to describe types of yoga studios where like some studios are like your, someone was like, is it LA yoga or is it crunchy granola yoga? And, uh, this is crunchy granola yoga. Like you are in it and it is a experience. But on top of that, they were doing, um, teacher training. So the people, so it's 200 hours. This was a hundred hours, but you're supposed to take at least 200 hours. So this was like half of it, but they're there every single day for seven days from 8 a.m. till like 6 p.m. That's a lot of yoga. Doing, well, they like learn. They do like anatomy and physiology and like they do a bunch of different stuff. They take class. Then they also teach classes to each other. So like they practice teaching to get like feedback and stuff. It was a lot. But so all the classes that I was taking all week long, the students were in it. So it was like the crunchiest of granola yoga, where it was like, because they're in it, like this is their eat, sleep, like breathing yoga for a whole week. So it was really cool classes. It was just a lot for me as a kind of a baby yogi. Um, I also at the beach witnessed this, uh, elderly woman and she was walking on the beach highway with her dog and she and the dog were wearing matching outfits. So much joy. A life I aspire to. Uh, mm-hmm. it was like 8 30 AM and they were like in little matching walking suits, like outfits so and they were out on their walk. And I was like, this is. Can, can <laughs> we pin that? For when it's, you know, you and me living in our big house with our assistant and all of our dogs and our cats, can we have like matching group outfits? Yes. Coordinates, coordinate sets throughout all animals. And, and like, maybe you have like main color, pink pop of orange, and then all main color, orange pop of pink. So that we're like, not like matchy matchy, but we go. Yeah. Not matchy matchy, but we're coordinating. I mean, I would really like them to solely be Versace silk two pieces, but I think those are custom made for Bruno Mars. So you can live the dream. They do sell Gucci fabric. You can buy fabric by the bolt. So we could make technically our own Gucci two pieces. Yes. Okay. Yes, done. Easy. 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 Okay. So Simple. in in my um, fun employment, I'll whip out Add my to the drive. machine and learn how to sew so that I can not ruin this Gucci fabric when it comes time. 
That's true. Are you, there we, are you, are you good with an elastic waistband? I'll feel like we've earned elastic Am I waistband. good with an elastic waist? Of course. I feel like we'll really have earned that by that point. No buttons or zippers here. No, I do want buttons on the top though. Okay. Like a nice button. Um, a nice, nice button, nice drawstring with a little gold detail. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You get it. Yes. That's perfect. Vibe, vibe communicated and received. Coordinating like slides, low for action. Okay. Anyway. Yes. Add it to our life plan. Um, what else? So Father's Day just happened. Uh, I hope everyone called their dad or called a father, a father, told somebody happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, daddy. Because I just yeah. found out that you listen. <laughs> Does he really? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being the best, bro. Nice. Uh, yeah. So happy Father's Day. I, uh, my favorite gift that I got, I commissioned a portrait of my cat. So, and it's being printed on fancy paper and I will frame it. I gifted the digital copy to Ferris because it was not ready yet, mm -hmm. um, but it's getting printed on fancy paper and it's going to be framed in a small version for his desk, but it is a literal portrait of our cat. Well, I had babe. design meetings and everything with the Etsy <laughs> artist. It was hilarious. That's fantastic. I mean, Bay is a is a work of art. She's obviously. Um, and then I also I joined this. You know, I've done a lot. I've made notes on what I did because last time I blanked and I was like, I've done nothing. <laughs> I've done nothing. My life is a blank. Um, and then I joined a yoga studio here um, on Sorry. Monday nights. So tonight I will be going. They do an explicit hip hop flow. So you're doing really hard yoga, but it's to um, like Lil John and the Yin Yang Twins and it's uh, language inclusive. I love it. Uh, we at one point were doing a flow and all of a sudden it was like to the window, to the wall. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah today and that's what I've been up to. I've been doing today, a lot. <laughs> today, my uh, yoga. That's my, that's my joy. That's my joy. Today's yoga music theme was 2002 to 2004 hits. And so there was like some My Milkshake Brings Other Boys to the Yard. And yes. that was really good to yoga too. I'll give you that. I'm here for it. Um, what have you been reading, watching, and listening to? Well, I... I'm on book number five this month. I finished oh, When Women Were Dragons, which is a phenomenal book. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I am, I read Made. Uh, I read We Were Never Here. I read, oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, The Club. Uh, that was a Reese Witherspoon pick. I am now reading What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins. Um, one of those depressing books I talked about a long time ago, but it's actually more of like a thriller kind of who done okay. what situation. Really good so far. Plan to finish that tonight because I will not be taking it on the plane with me because I will be reading Animal by Lisa Tadeo on my flight and I'm very excited looks really about good. it. Bookstagram yeah, has I, been posting about it. So I'm excited to hear what you it, think about it. 
I've heard that it is quite intense and it is a book that somebody wished they had read in conjecture with another book to like lighten the load. But, you know, there are plenty of bookstores in um, Seattle that I will probably be frequenting and posting on the gram. So I'm sure that something will knock in there. But um, no, I'm really excited to read it. I pulled out all the books that I've read for the month and then picked from my TBR aesthetically, which one looked nice with the stack because we're all about the aesthetic here. (gasps) It was for the gram, y'all. That's what dictated my pick because I've got like 20 books on my TBR stack. We gotta like, there's gotta be some like help. Cohesion. Yeah. (laughs) We can't have an ugly stack. No, I can't just throw in like Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. It wouldn't go with it, even though I really want to read that book. I feel like my July books are going to be like in the pastel range, really excited about it. And then we're going to go like all black in August. And I'm really pumped. Dang, okay. Yeah. I want to. I like how you're literally planning things for the aesthetic. I'm cackling at you. Um, (laughs) And then watching... um, Criminal Minds, because as I said last time, I'm very upset it's leaving Netflix. It's just going to Paramount Plus, but you know, it's so accessible in Netflix. So I'm watching season 12 and season three simultaneously. Season three for me, season 12 with Alex and I. Um, then we're also- Glad watching- to see you're being productive. Yeah. Well, I napped through season three today. So that was really a productive use mm. of my time. Um, and then we are also watching Game of Thrones from the beginning again. Oh, so that's a, that's an endeavor. Yeah. Well, there, the, the new dragon show is coming out in August. So if we felt we needed to get prepared, Ooh, and fun fact, I saw E! News posted that HBO is in discussion of making a Game of Thrones, Kit Harrington, AKA Jon Snow spinoff. I think I saw something about that. That sounds, I would be pro that. Yeah. Pro that. You know nothing, Jon Snow. If they could just call the show that. John, that's what I want. Jon Snow knows nothing? Yes. I want like a YouTube channel of Jon Snow knowing nothing. (laughs) Like, just him learning things. Listen to us, HBO. We're giving you good ideas. I know. That's perfect. It's a YouTube gold. Um, Gold. And then I really, oh, oh, um, all of the round table Hollywood reporter actor or well, the actors on actors, Vanity Fair, YouTubes are out for TV. And then the um, Hollywood reporter round tables are out. So I've been listening, watching YouTube uh, there because I love uh, a film, television kind of behind the scenes motivation for character getting in the character sort of discussion you like that behind the scenes vibe I love the behind the scenes vibe so that's what's been going on with me and I promise in my fun employment I have not been just napping and watching uh YouTube criminal minds I knocked off like 15 things off the to-do list last week yeah when we were talking earlier you paid your taxes and went to the post office. Those I are two did. very important things. That I, I hung up curtains. I hung up a hook to hang things on. I hung up a desk that is in a closet that folds down. It's like a Murphy desk. That is impressive. I am actually quite jealous. Uh, 
I yeah, like that. I, I did that. And that was like two hours of my life. That's too many things. Like my brain hurts just thinking of the, per- I'm like literally one of the busiest human beings on the planet at this point. Um, someone today at lunch was joking that, um, if you want to hang out with me or talk to me or get a meeting with me, then you better just go ahead and send that calendar invite and I'll just respond with what I am actually available. Otherwise you will not see me. Yeah, fair. You have to get on the calendar. Otherwise, nah. Um, that, that's why we're recording today. I texted Laura and I was like, you, you, you want to record? She's like, yeah, I guess so. Monday at 3 p.m. <laughs> exactly. And I still, I was like at the basketball game at 3 p.m. and was like, can we move to four? <laughs> can we move to five? <laughs> uh, uh, but on mine, reading, watching, and listening to. So currently reading One Italian Summer by Rebecca Surly. Surly? Surly? Who? Eh? Uh, up next is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus and When We Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill. It's just been on my TBR. Like I've been wanting to just own the book because it's so beautiful Women, uh, when women were dragons. And um, okay. I just wanted it. And then I read the inside cover and was like, this is something that I need in my life. So I'm very pleased that I have it. Um, watching Boba Fett on Disney Plus. I know I'm behind, but... It is what it is. I'm watching Boba Fett on Disney Plus, which I enjoy. And then I watched the Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey documentary on Netflix. And that is terrifying. Um, it is about the, um, shoot, it's a sect of the Mormon church that like believes in polygamy and like child brides and like the more brides you have, like you have to have at least three brides or three wives to get into heaven. It is ridiculous and like wild. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, like definitely go. No, it's not the Mormons. No, it's Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. The it's They're called the fundamentalists of the Latter-day Saints. So they have their own sect and like the actual Latter-day Saints like reject this entire sect, but it's crazy. So I'm almost done with that. It's been very mind blowy and then listening to i've been listening to queen herbie which if you are on instagram or tiktok you've probably heard some of her bits um played but i've just been enjoying her music it's very fun her current song that i'm really vibing to is uh called i hate you which is explicit but it's actually about her like basically her best friend um and the lyric uh that i love so much is uh, you're so perfect bitch i hate you uh <laughs> so just about how amazing her best friend is. And uh, so uh, basically you think of me every single time you listen to it. I'm going to dedicate it to you. Um, And I've been listening to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast on the Exactly Right Network. I just, I like what I like. I've been listening to that for quite some time and I really enjoy it. And that's what's been up. Hey, we're, we're crushing it. We've made, we made June... I'm not going to say our bitch. <laughs> we made June our friend. Yes. We were productive in June. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of us. Uh, we are doing our best. <laughs> yeah. We are actually doing our best. 
so yeah, exciting. And I'm proud of us. And um, for those of you that have been listening since the beginning, thank you. And for those that are new listeners, we've actually gotten a lot of new listeners lately. Um, go back and listen to some of our past interviews. While we have progressed as podcasters, our interviews have been delicious from day one. So thank you authors for being fantastic and winemakers and influencers. Hey, y'all made it work when we were just like, help, help us. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking a chance on us because, uh, literally that's some of my favorite parts about this podcast is getting to talk to the authors and all these other amazing people who are just, uh, they say yes. So, and I say it every time in our interview, I'm like, thank you so much for saying yes. I don't know why you did, but thank you. So <laughs> it's really been fantastic. Uh, are you ready to talk about the wine that I paired? We Absolutely. paired, well, I paired. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we've been doing so good. We had to reward ourselves with wine this month. Absolutely. Time for wine. It's wine time. Um, so the wine that I picked is specific one, because it's uh, a location in the book or just the region in general is a location in the book, but also it is the only wine from this region that I could get my hands on. So I did actually get to drink the wine this time. <laughs> uh, and I did get to try Crafters Union on my beach trip. I got it in the Rosé and the Pinot Grigio so that I could not lie to you guys on the podcast, but I had had it before. So the wine that I have paired with We Were Never Here is Escarlata. It is a 2019 red wine blend Y'all, I did not take Spanish, so please bear with me. The Colchagua, Colchagua Valley in Chile. Um, that is where it is from, which is Chile is a big player in the novel, especially in the beginning. So there you go. Uh, Escarlata comes in at 14% ABV and retails for about $12 a bottle. So it is delightful. It is a red a blend bang. in summer. Gasp. Bang for your buck, packs a punch. Yes, bang for your buck and definitely packs a punch. So a little bit of information, get some facts. Escarlata is a modern red blend of 35% Cabernet Franc, 30% Malbec, 20% Petit Verdot, and 15% Syrah, with just a hint of oak allowing the fresh fruit to shine through. All the grapes come from the family's own vineyard, making it a 100% estate fruit bottle, not typical of wines in this category. A complex wine that is still refreshing. I served it slightly chilled. So I know um, in the summer, especially in Mississippi, like we're hitting like a over a 105 degree heat index right now. So drinking like a stout red is not the play, um, but serving this slightly chilled was really delightful. So. And um, shout out to the French Quarter Wine and Spirits uh, in Jackson, Mississippi for that top, that hot tip there. He was like, I would highly suggest if you have a wine chiller to put this in your wine chiller. I personally do not have a wine chiller. He was like, or you could put it in your refrigerator for like 15, 20 minutes and it will be the appropriate temperature. So for those of you that don't have a wine chiller and don't wanna have like frozen wine or wine that's too cold, Apparently that 15 to 20 minute in your fridge just to chill the wine to the appropriate temperature. There you go. It is smooth and accessible. Escarlata is round enough for drinking on its own, which is what I tried at the beginning. And then it stands up as a wonderful partner for food. So I sipped it also with some uh, pineapple sriracha shrimp tacos and homemade guac. So I went heavy in this 
episode in theme. So I made some delightful pineapple sriracha shrimp tacos and sipped this wine chilled. So if you're not feeling the like margarita vibe and want, but still want to have something that is thematic with your meal, I highly recommend this. So Escarlata Red Blend comes from vineyards in the rolling hills of Marchigue. Marsh, Marchigue? Marchigue. Where the, go ahead. Where the ocean breeze helps moderate moderate the temperatures and favors a low yield of concentrated and aromatic grapes. The name Escarlata comes from the Spanish word for scarlet and was inspired by the wine's deep, brilliant red hue. It is chocolate and blah, 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 blah. red fruit. I can't y'all. I made my own notes today and like, I still can't read. Um, uh, it has chocolate and red fruit aromas with soft and sweet tannins. It is a dark cherry red color with a fruity nose with spices and predominating red fruits on your palate, as well as notes of black currant. So it will have a little spiciness to it. The palate is sweet, a little sweeter. It's not, I wouldn't say it's like a sweet wine, like people who like sweet wines are not going to like this. But if you're someone like me who really enjoys a dry wine, um, this is going to be a little sweeter than what you're used to, but it's a good, it's a good change. Um, well-balanced a lot. It's very fresh. So the crutch, the valley in which this comes from, uh, the wine is well-regarded for intense and exceptionally high-quality red wines. It is situated in the southern part of Chile's Rappel Valley. I'm sure that's not how you say it, um, with many of the best vineyards lying in the foothills of the coastal range. This area has heavy French investment and cutting edge technology in both the vineyard and the winery have both been a boom to the local viticultural industry, which already laid claim to ancient vines and a textbook Mediterranean climate. So that is why wine and like grape vines are doing so well in Chile. Hmm. Um, the warm dry growing season in this valley favors robust reds made from Cabernet Sauvignon Malbec and Syrah, and in fact, some of Chile's very best wines are made here. And that's my segment. I just learned so much about Chilean winemaking, so thank you for that. You're welcome. I learned some things too. It's the first Chilean wine that we've covered, uh, so it was very exciting. We we are officially branching out. So I think what was it last time? It was a uh, we did a New Zealand wine recently. We did an Australian wine where we covered um, kind of the differences of an Australian wine versus American wine versus French wine. So now we have Chilean wine. We're just globe trotting in the wine, y'all. Trying. You didn't talk about your surprise gift of wines of the world. Pause. Well, fun fact: I I got the charge on my credit card today, so they did. Uh, oh, so you did buy it for yourself? No, I didn't. I, I technically. Technically, I did, but I didn't, so it's fraud. So I have to call them back. Um, what an interesting fraud! <laughs> yeah. So my credit card was stolen, y'all, and I come. I, I'm chilling, having a great time. Knock on my door, FedEx guy with a huge box of wine, and I'm like, "Is this for me?" And he was like, yeah, are you 21? And I was like, in fact, I'm 30, but thank you for asking. And, yes. um, <laughs> yeah. and um, it, it was 
14 bottles of wine that did I did keep not, the wine? I yes, I've kept the wine and I don't have anything positive to say about it except that it was free wine. Oh. Yeah. I I got 14 bottles for $87. That's a dang good deal though. Yeah, says my credit card bill <laughs> that I didn't order for myself. I also got sent a phone case. Didn't order that. I just want to know how they're like sending stuff to your address. Well, I remember like maybe a couple years ago, my cousin's card got hacked and they sent him a rug, like a giant, like room size rug that he didn't order for himself. And so I don't really know what that is. I think maybe they, they get perks or they get some things for them. I don't know, but hmm. yeah. So I got wines of the world sent to me and I'm slowly making my way around the world in wine. So that's a, that's a goal. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> So you made me, I was like, wait, she called me while I was on the beach and was like, Laura, did you send me this? I was like, nope, no, I did not. But could I take credit for it? Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> except you got charged for it. So no. <laughs> yeah. So I will be calling the uh, credit card company soon to uh, dispute that along with the other lovely uh, gifts that they ordered for me. The gifts from your, <laughs> from your, uh, from the criminals. Yeah. Hey, oh, well. at least, at least they know me well enough that if they're going to like scam me and take my card, at least send me wine. At least send me wine. You know, oh, it's, it's very thoughtful. Oh Lord. All right. Are we ready? Because from here on out, be prepared for spoils, spoil, spoilers. spoilers. I'll spoil today. Uh, <laughs> be prepared for spoilers we will ruin the plot for you from here on out so if you have not read the book yet and you are you don't want the book ruined for you this is where you hit pause and go finish we were never here and then come back mm -hmm. so like we said it was a reese uh, book club pick her note on it is this book is every suspense lover's dream the New York Times said a book that skillfully examines toxic friendship at its most extreme. When the reckoning arrives, it shows that sometimes we should fear our friends a lot more than strangers. And Bartz takes the idea of frenemy to new heights. Yet another expert vivisection of female modes of communication and competition. That's the LA Times. So um, book review that we're going to do is uh, from uh, Marie Claire and NPR. It was one of their picks. This is also the Goodreads uh, kind of synopsis that they have. So we dive in. Emily is having the time of her life. She's in the mountains of Chile with her best friend, Kristen, on their annual reunion trip. And the women are feeling closer than ever. But on the last night of the trip, Emily enters their hotel suite to find blood and broken glass on the floor. Kristen says, Kristen says the cute backpacker she brought back to their room attacked her and she had no choice but to kill him in self-defense. Even more shocking, this scene is horrifyingly similar to last year's trip when another backpacker wound up dead. Emily can't believe it's happened again. Can lightning really strike twice? Back home in Wisconsin, Emily struggles to bury her trauma diving headfirst into a new relationship and throwing herself into work. But when Kristen shows up for a surprise visit, 
Emily is forced to confront their violent past. The more Kristen tries to keep Emily close, the more Emily questions her motives. As Emily feels the walls closing in on their cover-ups, she must reckon with the truth about the, her closest friend. Can Emily, Emily outrun the secrets she shares with Kristen or will they destroy her relationship, her freedom, even her life? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. So, so furthering <laughs> spoilers. Basically, you find out that Kristen's parents were murdered. Her best friend committed suicide as a kid. Um, then the situation in Chile, as well as the previous situation in Vietnam, where Emily is in fact assaulted and Kristen comes in and kills the guy. And so because of these kind of traumatic experiences, Emily, you know, starts trying to put two and two together. Also, Kristen's grandma kind of like put some feelers out of like, mm, maybe you should be a little uh, wary. Are you, her like very concerned, like, are you okay? It's like, yeah. I don't know, am I? Am I? Please tell me. Um, you know, we find out that Emily did not kill her parents or her friend, uh, but uh, her father had been um, sexually assaulting her best friend. So the friend killed her parents and then in turn killed herself. Uh, but Kristen, you know, does is quite unhinged because of the trauma. She had some behavioral issues before that even happened. Um, and because of kind of her past and instability, it kind of weaves the path for Emily to jump to different conclusions, some incorrect, some correct. Um, and Christine becomes quite possessive of Emily, ends up moving back to Wisconsin, lies to her about her job, starts inserting herself in Emily's relationship and in her friendships. And the cops you know, start realizing that these two girls are involved. It ends with a um, standoff, roadside standoff where um, Emily pushes Kristen off a cliff, saves her. And then when Kristen is going to push Emily off the cliff, cliff the new boyfriend comes, hits Kristen with a car. On accident. On accident. They go rolling off the hill. Kristen dies. And Aaron is, uh, makes a recovery. And Emily's just like WTF bro. But then they decide to go on vacation, Emily and Aaron, uh, like a little bit later and use the same ruse that uh, Kristen and Emily used to use. So it kind of puts you at the end of like, girl, what you doing? Are they, are they just going to do this again? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's kind of one of my questions before we dive into the interview, I guess, is, um, is do you think this is a killer duo part two? Um, okay. So I think like, I think Aaron is ultimately a good guy and he didn't mean to kill Kristen mm -hmm. so I don't think that they're going to turn into a killer duo part two do I think that Emily is unhinged and may turn like may just be a killer now because she had like a full-blown like mental break and was about to kill her best friend that is a definite possibility <laughs> and then Aaron's just stuck cleaning 
cleaning up after her. Poor thing. Yeah, I agree. I just, when I read that at the end, I was like, why are you going along? Like, don't, huh? don't you know what has happened like in the past year? Like you committed vehicular manslaughter. Like, I, I don't think you should be like playing to these whims that Emily has. So I was a little shocked by by that myself. I think he's a people pleaser. Hmm. What did you think of this book? I know you, I, I, I know, but tell the people. So I liked this book a lot. And I think um, the reason I didn't immediately suggest it is because it's another suspense, toxic friendship storyline, which we did with um, our book, Other People's Clothes. So I didn't want to do these back to back originally, but I loved this book so much. And then of course, Andy is so great on social media. She's so active with her fans and her like followers and people who love her book. And so I just like went on a whim and sent her a DM and was like, look, if it, I would love to cover your book. Would you come on the show? And then we found out that the paperback is releasing um, in July, at the beginning of July. We're like, oh, well now we have to do it in June. So I was excited that we got to kind of cover this book, but I loved it. I thought it was really good. I think the writing is very suspenseful and I like the way that you get these revelations over time. Mm -hmm. I don't, I like the fact that it's like so paced. I think the pacing of it is really great. Well, you mentioned other people's clothes and that was kind of one of my questions I had too. Um, it's mentioned in We Were Never Here and also other people's clothes, this kind of Amanda Knox-esque experience with being abroad, accused of a crime, things like that. And, you know, I would like to think I would hide the body and just like move on, but I'm not that resourceful and I would crack. Um, but why is it so much harder to tell the truth and face the consequences of the truth than it is to murder someone, cover it up, deal with those consequences than it is to just be like, trust the system. Uh, I guess, well, they boil it. They both boil it down to fear. Um, fear of, you know, what happened to Amanda Knox. I think that that was, honestly, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff that has happened since then that, like crime related that people don't go to get help and don't report things to the authorities because they're terrified of that happening to them. I think that it created because of the media storm around it and how she was treated and what happened to her. I think that it definitely created a level of fear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't know their system. You don't know the cops. You don't know this. You don't know that. Don't trust it. Run, like go to the embassy. You don't talk. Well, you should go to the embassy regardless. Like regardless um but it's kind of like I think it made a fear everyone's scared I mean I even think back to before Amanda Knox and this is in movies but it makes me think of it as Bridget Jones when she's put in jail and she's in that cell and you know it's kind of deplorable and then she has to you know get saved by Colin Firth and you know but I mean obviously Bridget makes it funny but you know it, it, this narrative has been around kind of for a long time and you can make light of it kind of in film and then it happens in real life 
And so that just like leads me to wonder like how many people like have gotten away with things like this just because they're so afraid to come and tell the truth and it's just so much easier to sweep it under the rug. The world will never know. Laura, what's your body count? Just like zero. Um, <laughs> just like how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, the world will ever know. Uh, <laughs> what I thought of is that commercial. Um, I mean, and then I think we have our last question before we dive into our interview because we have a doozy of an interview today. Um, the girls got away with murder. Do you sympathize with Emily even though she was partially to blame? I sympathize in that after her traumatic experience in Cambodia, she did not feel safe enough to get the help that she needed. I think that it sets her up to not be successful in life by suppressing the trauma that she experienced. Like whether you know, dead or not. And I mean, the murder is a whole other thing, but she was sexually assaulted and that's terror, like terrifying and not being able to fully process what happened to her. And then this happening with Kristen just reinforces all of this pain and her not feeling like she has anybody in her corner to advocate and help her in that sense, I do sympathize with her. Um, I think that, you know, some of the things we'll kind of talk about with Andy too, is like their shared past trauma and how, you know, they're codependent. And I think, I think that there is more to Emily than this innocent girl that Kristen, you know, is corrupting. No, I think that she's got some trauma in her past that she never really dealt with. And if her best friend wants to get away with murder, she's on board. Along for the ride. Yeah. So half and half. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have one heck of an interview. We book clubbed hard with the author, We Were Never Here, Andy Bartz. Um, and in this interview, so, you know, check it out. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're so stoked to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. I read this book on, you were my airplane choice, um, on a work trip, I was like, this is the book I'm going to read on my trip. And I was sitting next to one of my coworkers and I was like, oh, this is a really good book. I'm really enjoying this. And then I was sitting there and I go, and she goes, did you just gasp out loud on an airplane? I was like, yes, I did. (laughs) I love that. Like nothing makes me happier than people saying that they like audibly reacted as they were reading and like drew attention to themselves in public spaces. So I love that. On an airplane. (laughs) <laughs> the last page. I was in the privacy of my own home, but I was like, no, she did it. So I did. I did. <laughs> she did. She went there. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, the internet, we're obviously big fans of your book. 
But, you know, the interwebs told us that we were never here, got picked up by Netflix. So that's wild. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited. Um, I'm not personally very uh, involved in it. So I hear things are moving along and like, I, I don't really know about it. Um, but it should be very cool. It's sort of this uh, combination. It's uh, already in place with Netflix and it's a combination of Berlanti production company and then Molly Sims new production company um which it was really exciting to me that she wanted to sort of debut this as uh the, the first project announced for her production company um so you know I'm I'm crossing my fingers it's very much all a big open question uh and Hollywood moves at a glacial pace that even makes book publishing look downright speedy so you know I'm <laughs> letting them make their art and I am making my art but it is very exciting and their vision for the book was really cool. I mean, we had some calls at the beginning uh, when they wanted to, to option it. And I just felt like they totally got it and had some really cool ideas for how they were going to sort of shift it for the screen. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. But, but don't, people, you have time to read it. People are like, oh my God, I need to read it quickly before it's on Netflix. I'm like, they haven't started shooting yet. I don't even know that there's a script yet. Like, you're okay. <laughs> you have time to read it. And it comes out in paperback in what? less than a month so they can either do hardback or paperback they have so have many options so many options it comes out in paperback july 5th and if i may make a small plug for it the hardcover you know was it's was the first iteration and i love it but the paperback has uh some cool bonus content it has a book club discussion guide it has a uh, playlist inspired by the book it has a bonus chapter from the, uh, you know, Kremlis past adventures. It's a sort of short story of them on an earlier trip in Vietnam. And it has a preview of my next book, which is coming out next year. So lots of motivation to go pick that up. And then also, if anyone is an audiobook listener, um, this is, I don't even know if I'm supposed to announce this yet, but I'm going to. Uh, we are recording some bonus content for the audiobook as well that will um you know for anyone who buys it on or after july 5th when the paperback comes out they'll uh get the audio version of some of that bonus content so i'm very excited I own, the I own the hardback good but i'm now convinced to buy the paperback too i love it get them both uh, Give me oh, i was like well now i'm gonna have two copies of this book and <laughs> you are every author's dream that is truly music to an author's ears <laughs> For sure. And I know like, well, first of all, that was an exclusive. I'm going to say it was an exclusive. So that's what we got. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't told anyone else yet. So it's yours. Yes. Uh, but so then on top of that, so who would be your dream? You know, if you got to pick, who would be your dream cast for Kristen and Emily? Oh my gosh. I, I am so bad at this with my own books. And so one time I did on my Instagram in stories, I just did the answer box and was like, who would you guys cast? And they were fascinating. Um, I think my favorite was uh, Florence Pugh as Kristen and um, Beanie, what's Beanie's last name? Feldstein. Yeah, the one from like Booksmart and all those, yep. her as, uh, as Emily. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, so that's the one that stuck with me the most, but I don't know, they, they look like, I don't see them as celebrities. They look like they look in my head. So it's a sort of an impossible leap to make, but it'll be cool seeing it on screen. They'll pick. I can't people. wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I would totally watch it if either of them were in it or both of them were in it. I love them both. Yeah, but they're both the, so great. The Monica Lewinsky show is high on my list to watch 
for uh, Beanie Feldstein's. Uh, it was, it's kind of like the American crime story show. <gasps> I need to watch this immediately. This yeah, is, it's on this Hulu. In the center of, okay, thank you. This is like right in the middle of a Venn diagram of things that interest me. We've got Beanie, we've got Monica, we've got wrong women's from the past, you know, from the yeah. past that we are vindicating years later. Yeah. Thank you for that tip. You're like, watch list now. <laughs> yes. I will be quietly closing my laptop now. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, so kind of getting into a, a meaty question here. On page 81, you write, and I pulled out a couple sentences here or there, but I thought back to a soliloquy I'd seen on TV about pain as women's birthright. We do our best to avoid it, but men run toward it. Their bravado is just them manufacturing their own pain, trying to seem strong. But fear, fear is at least as strong a motivator as pain. Maybe the TV show had had it wrong. Maybe men aren't out to experience pain so much as fear, the icy jolt of feeling alive. They crave it because they have no idea how miserable it is to feel that frigid blast hundred times a day. <sighs> that one. Heavy. As, yeah. I snapped a picture of that and immediately sent it to Laura when I read it. So what was your inspiration kind of behind this message in this passage in the book? Yeah. So the TV show I'm referring to is Fleabag. If anyone hasn't seen it, like immediately run, don't walk to, to the nearest TV to watch it. Um, but there was something in one of the last episodes where Fleabag sits down with this older woman and this older woman gives this, you know, really well-written monologue about um, men, you know, the reason that they have to put on helmets and run around on a football field and do everything else is because they're trying to, trying to get pain. Um, and that stuck with me. And at the time I was like, that sounds right. That makes sense. That seems true. And then kind of, I, th I feel like this little passage was sort of like brewing within me the entire time I was writing, even though I didn't know it. Um, because it's kind of, the heart of the book, right? It's, it's really about how it's such a given that women are going to be, um, should be afraid. And that's just normal and that's natural. And that's not, not something we should question. Um, and, you know, especially all of the fear that women, that is sort of fed to women uh, who like to travel, who do things that are, you know, bold and adventurous and put them in danger. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of fear wielded as a weapon to, and shame wielded as a weapon to, to say, you know, you're asking for it if you're, if you're traveling, if you go places by yourself, if you travel with another woman, which, um, you know, those were kind of my two preferred ways of traveling, uh, before COVID, I would go places by myself or with a female friend. Um, and so I think I was just kind of throughout the book doing, exploring some of my own feelings about that, the default um, assumption that if anyone's going to be a victim, if anyone should be afraid, it's a woman and um, playing with, you know, what does that mean? What purpose does it serve? And sort of keeping women's lives small, discouraging them from doing bold and, and courageous things that would sort of help them with their, you know, evolution and, and, and courage and power. Um, and I wondered like, what if we reverse the arrow? And that was sort of the, the impetus for the whole book. What if, you know, instead of this default assumption that women will be victims, uh, we, we turn the arrow the other way and have these women as the ones inflicting violence, uh, on while traveling and what would that look like? How would it sort of help them in a twisted way? to potentially get away with it because nobody ever even envisions 
the arrow going that way. Women are just always the victims. We call it violence against women instead of male violence. Like it's just all about the recipient. Um, so I think there was just something about when I got to that page uh, and I write without an outline, I never really know what's coming next. When I got to that page, the idea that I'd been sort of circling around crystallized of um, how interesting that men need to do adrenaline soaked stupid things and uh, how, how interesting it is that men seem to like walk toward things that scare them and make them feel brave. Whereas women are just have to be so brave to get through the day and, and all of the experiences of fear that just are given for, for existing with a female or non-male form. I mean, I remember Lara was just like, men cannot say anything until they're walking in a parking lot and they put their key in their fingers to make it a weapon. And I was yeah, like, so true. Cause no man, okay. And maybe they don't admit that they do that. And that's a whole other issue, but you know, yeah, no, no man thinks about that, that you're in an isolated parking lot. And it's a simple thing of walking to your car, but you're like, am I going to be a victim? Is it, is it coming at me today? Right. And it's interesting because even, even, even the good guys, even feminist men I know who would never, who even are trying to be aware of it, and they try to switch the side they're walking on of the street at night so that they don't scare the woman because they, they try to be really cognizant of like, I know I don't experience it, but, but I want to be aware and be an ally. Even those men can't possibly understand the extent of it because they don't see it. If you're walking with a man, then people aren't going to say things to you. People aren't going to harass you. Your life is not in danger in the same way. Um, so it's just this interesting thing of like, you know, I think it was sort of born out of so much of this believe women and yes, all, you know, the not all men versus yes, all women was added and, and me too. And all this stuff where it was like, there's just no way for us to bridge this gap for men to understand it. So they have to just believe us when we say we are scared really all the time. <laughs> yeah. And that was something that that's what she was telling me. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, have this conversation with a man. And if they start like the mansplaining thing where it's like, not all men, but I'm like, yeah. Okay. When was the last time you made a little fake, like shiv out of your key, like out of your keys, Right. it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. And the fact, like, I, I think it's like the leading cause of death for pregnant women is their, is their spouses or their significant other. I think that all of that is like, just mind-blowingly all-encompassing to like the female narrative at this point and like it really doesn't matter even like trans women like mm-hmm. every woman oh yes all women every version yes. of women like if you look like one like right right that's it yeah if you're not existing as like a cis straight white man and of course like you know levels rates of violence against trans women are very high, higher than for, for cis women. And um, yeah, it's just such a default that it's unquestioned. And like, you know, I had the idea for the book and this is something I mentioned in the, the reader's guide that people can find in the paperback. But um, I was on vacation with a female friend and we were in this very empty, emptied out, um, you know, Andean mountain town. And we befriended the one other tourist who was there who was this really awesome Australian dude named Steven. Um, and you know, in that way that you can only do while traveling, like we just instantly all became best friends and we were just like, we got along so well. We had such great chemistry. It was like, we'd known each other forever. We were friends for three days and then we moved on and 
that was the end of it. And um, we, he was so not creepy. He was so just great. And we felt comfortable around him that we kind of had a running joke about how he was actually a psycho who was just waiting for his chance to like kill us and take our money and run. Um, which is the kind of joke you can only make when somebody's like really not creepy. Um, and, and so all three of us just kind of kept making jokes about it. And on the last night, it was, so this has been three days of this. And on the last night, it finally just occurred to me kind of out of nowhere, like I literally make a living writing about women uh, inflicting violence and like women doing violent things and women, you know, like acting, behaving in ways that, uh, that would not be expected of them. But even I just jumped on the same bandwagon of like, if anyone here should be worried, it should be us two, us two women. Like we're the really trusting ones for just like letting this guy like hang out in our hotel suite and drink wine with us. Um, and, you know, why, why shouldn't he be afraid of us? There's, there's two of us against one of him. There's he knows us exactly as well as we know him. Um, but even, even then, like not one of the three of us ever for a second considered that like he would need to be worried to and keep his guard up. So that sort of, you know, got the wheels turning of what would it look like for some female travelers to actually be the ones that others should be afraid of instead of always being afraid. We're going to start a club. We're going to get jackets. Yeah. <laughs> Fear female travelers. <laughs> Fear us. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we use the sticker maker. Let's go. I bought it. <laughs> um, but so Kristen kind of de- delving into their relationship. So Kristen obviously engages in behavior that would make Emily suspicious of her motivations. And we learned throughout the book, it's revealed to us that like Kristen is like mentally unhinged. Like there's a lot going on there, a lot of trauma, but in another story, Emily's conclusions could be complete coincidence and a product of just her impending paranoia, paranoia, I can speak, I promise, in this crazy world, like any advice, like, especially with traveling and, you know, what do you have for, you know, trusting your gut and not jumping to conclusions? Where do we, where do we balance that? It's, it's such a hard balance. And like something that was interesting throughout this book was, you know, we experienced it all through Emily's eyes and, throughout the book, she's asking herself that question of like, am I in danger when it comes to my best friend? Or, uh, you know, do I need to give her the benefit of the doubt and trust her? Um, And it's a complicated question because they're bound by trauma that they've experienced together. Uh, She knows that her friend has experienced trauma uh, that can kind of explain certain behaviors. And there's just, they have a lot of goodwill and love built up from their long relationship. I mean, they've been best friends since college. Um, and it was important to me that the friendship feel real and that they really care about each other because it's not fun to just watch, you know, a like clearly just totally nobody's getting anything from it kind of relationship from the start, because then you can't root for Emily and you can't go through that journey with her. You're just like, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in terms of, in terms of making that, doing that math and making that calculation, it's like women have to do it a thousand times a day, right? Like, can I, if I'm going to walk the dog at night and it's dark, do I bring my phone just in case? Um, All of these, these constant, like, am I being paranoid? Where's like the convenience to me? Am I cutting myself off from interesting experiences by deciding not to do them uh, out of fear for my safety? Like we're rolling the dice every time we go outside. 
Um, and it's really frustrating because it's something that men generally don't have to do in the same way. Um, I read when I had recently graduated and first moved to New York, I read this book and I hate that it's by a white guy, but it's called The Gift of Fear. Um, and it was, I think it maybe came out in the eighties or early nineties, but it's, um, you know, I'm sure it was a bestseller then and sort of has been through a million reprintings because, um, it's from this guy who owns, I'm going to get this wrong. I think he owns like a security training, something self-defense, like he owns this big company. Um, but he really delves deep into like helping women trust their intuition and to trust their fear and to see fear as um, kind of a gift that can um, help point them in the right direction a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, women are so afraid of being seen as unkind or hysterical or rude. Um, and, you know, it can be very easy to, well, this guy's making me uncomfortable, but like, he's trying to help. So like, I'll still be nice. Or, you know, there's this one guy who's freaking me out on the subway, but like, I'll look, I'll look weird if I like jump out and just move to the next car at the next stop. So I'll just wait till I get, you know, I'll just stay here. Um, and, you know, ignoring those signs of fear can really be something you regret. So, you know, there is no firm answer. And of course it is never someone specific, usually a woman's um, fault if she, if something bad does happen to her. Uh, and that's not at all what I'm saying, but in an empowering way, I think it's really important to listen to um, your own intuition about what is freaking you out. Even if you can't put your finger on why, even if you don't know what feels wrong about this, uh, about the situation or this person and just sort of, um, you know, doing, doing things that help to hone your intuition and whether that's meditation or, you know, quiet time or, or um, you know, free writing or keeping a journal and just sort of paying attention to those internal cues. Um, because, I mean, we've all, I'm sure we all have things from our past that we're like, I don't know how I survived that. That was so stupid. And often it's traveling. Or Very many. I have a lot of them. Right. <laughs> when you're like partying when you're 22 and just making all sorts of bad decisions. And like, thank God that those times we rolled the dice, we were fine. Um, but especially in situations where you are a little bit more in control, um, how can I take precautions and be alert and be you know, realistic and sort of know the situation I'm getting myself into. Uh, but then also really listen to myself if I get a sense of like something's up, something's not right and like have a plan for getting out of that. I don't know if that was like a more prescriptive answer than you were looking for. I like for. it. I like <laughs> it. No, I'm, I'm the, um, I am routinely the bitch friend where um, yes. I'm okay with it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that stranger called me a bitch and now I never see them again. Like, worked out perfectly when I'm alive so yeah. yeah no it's true like mama bears like keep keep everyone safe they have a very important role to play in every friend group yeah and then so with that dynamic with Kristen and Emily of like am I jumping to conclusions am I safe am I not safe she's my best friend how fun was it to kind of write that dynamic it was both very fun and very hard um I you know, it would be so easy to just turn it into like this campy story of like, you know, the friend is bad and you're now you're trapped together because you like buried a body together. And I, I really, as I said, wanted to have much more nuance than that. Um, and so it took a few tries and a lot of finagling to get it right. 
Uh, one of my favorite things to write is like confrontation scenes to write uh, dialogue for like arguments. Um, so those are really fun. And those sort of became like my touch points wherein writing them, I would sort of figure out like where are, it was check-in, like where are both characters mentally right now? Um, and it took me a while to realize that like just the same way that I understood Emily's um, thinking, motivations, emotional state, uh, mental state, stakes, the same way that I needed to understand that through every scene from Emily's eyes, because Emily is our first person narrator, I eventually realized like I need to do the same thing for Kristen throughout whether she's on the page or not, I need to understand what she is thinking and why she's doing the things that she's doing um, in each of these scenes. Um, because without it, she is flat. She, what she's doing doesn't make sense. Um, their interactions and their friendship doesn't ring as, you know, kind of rings false. Um, so it was a really important sort of stage for me to go through and like, okay, like, Kristen, nobody thinks of themselves as a, you know, as a bad guy or as a villain or an antagonist. And, and honestly, I don't think of Kristen that way either. I think they're both, you know, these interesting, flawed um, main characters, but it was sort of like, what, how would Kristen read the situation and what would, how would she interpret it? What would it mean to her and how would that inform what she does next? Um, and that really helped me sort of get out of these stuck spots where I couldn't kind of figure out what the friendship should be doing and how it should be shifting. Um, and it gave me just a lot of um, sympathy for her and understanding of her. And when people are like, oh, Kristen's such a psycho, like I hated her from the start. I'm like, really? Like, I love her and I love Emily too. And I think they're both interesting and flawed and smart and dumb and just all of those things. I guess it's safe to say you could probably write the book on the flip side with Kristen being the, the main narrator that we see it from and seeing her dynamic and vision of everything too. Yeah, yeah. And that would be a fascinating, you know, way to think about it. But yeah, I, I could tell you the entire story from her eyes. And let me tell you, it is never as simple as, ha ha ha, I am evil and taking control of my friend because it's fun and I'm, <laughs> I'm bad and sadistic. It's not that. It's much more nuanced than that. And there's a lot of love and complicated feelings between the two of them. And so kind of a follow-up on that question too, um, Emily even admits to herself that Kristen is the one that should be afraid, that she's the one that's the killer. And on page 221, you write, maybe she knew if she said it confidently enough, if she looked at me hard, like I'd lost my mind, I'd believe her. I'd convince myself I'd done it. So much power, so much confidence. And this kind of calls into question the aftermath of trauma and the impact of selective memory. And is it possible that Emily is more involved than we know? And is confidence the opposite of fear? It's an interesting question. You know, I wrote this from a first person perspective. So we only know Emily's perspective. So sometimes people want to know, you know, what did Nana actually know? What was, what was Nana's actual, you know, take on the incidents from the past? And we don't know because Emily will never know. Um, and so in the same way that we all as humans are constantly constructing our own reality, she is constructing her own reality as she goes. And we see some sort of seismic shifts as she, you know, rejiggers past memories or looks at it from a new light or realizes, wait, I was sort of motivated to think of it one way, but it actually was another. Um, and 
I think that's part of the human experience. And, you know, we're, we're all unreliable narrators, right? Like we all, every, every human is seeing things through their own, their own lens and through their own desires, motivations and all that. Um, so I think the opposite of fear, there's, there's a couple little discussions of this where um, Kristen says the opposite of fear is its safety, it's power. And I think confidence is a facet of power. Um, it's one facet. It's possibly one that um, women use more because women, we have more um, emotional means to control other people, I would say, than uh, men because sort of physical, uh, you know, think about little kids, like boys can like fight each other with sticks and girls are supposed to like learn how to play and share and things. Um, and so, you know, cut off from certain ways of having power. Um, I think that's why a lot of, let's say, middle school girls, when you think of a bunch of middle school girls, you think about the complicated dynamics within the bullying and the, you know, the um, different power dynamics and queen bees. And we have this, you know, mean girls idea of like, you know, this mean girl wielding all this power, not just like the biggest, strongest uh, you know, football player in the, on, in the class. Um, and so there's one line a little bit later on where, um, you know, we have this boyfriend, Aaron, who this love interest, Aaron, who's like a really good guy and he really just loves Emily and, and he's a really solid sort of sweet force in this difficult time she's in. And um, he just casually mentions how he's bringing, uh, bringing like weed gummies on a plane that they're going on to. And she's like, oh my God, I would never do that. And he's just so chill and calm about it because he's a white man, because he's a, you know, upper middle-class white dude in the Midwest who like has everything going for him and has never had people question him. And she thinks to herself, like the opposite of, of fear isn't safety. It's knowing you'll always be in charge. And I just feel like there's such a confidence that comes with, you know, various levels of um, institutional, you know, uh, institutional power and, and uh, knowing because of our white supremacist, capitalist, colonialist, uh, and, you know, patriarchal society, like who is at the top, who we have given the most power to. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think confidence is a really important part of it, especially within female relationships. And um, so I think there is an interesting thing going on with Kristen having this confidence that can sort of like torpedo other people's, um, you know, feelings or, uh, you know, accounts of events. Um, but I think, I think power in a lot of different forms is kind of the opposite of fear. I mean, that, that man who's walking down the street and he has not made like a shank with his keys, like he's not scared, not because he's necessarily safe, but because he knows he is powerful and in charge and that grants him safety. Good point. Good point. Ooh, I'm, I'm just like, this is a great interview. I'm just like, every now and then I'll like be in the middle of an interview and I'll go, Oh, that's pretty solid. This would be a good episode. <laughs> like I start like thinking about like our intros and outros already. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, when we don't have things to say and we're just sitting there pondering and we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> we just thought there. I'm glad because while I'm actually speaking like midway through, I peel back and I'm like, am I making a point? Like, where did I start? What did she actually ask? So I'm glad that landed somewhere. <laughs> it, it, it had an arc. It had a nice closing. It all made sense. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
And you have, you've written three novels from the female perspective, uh, exploring difficult truths of women's experiences and the constructs that are informing them. But women aren't really alone in being influenced by societal norms. For example, you know, we've talked about like men are told it's unmanly to be vulnerable. You know, they're strong, they're in charge. But so on the flip side, like being weak is just such a opposite to what it means to be a man. Um, so either have you considered or would it be something, you know, of interest to you write a novel from a male perspective, but flips it, flips that archetype upside down? Yeah. It's a great question. I have thought about it and I always sort of ultimately land on like, we have plenty of books in the world that are from a male POV. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if I can only contribute one every year or two, like I would just rather it be um, from a female point of view. But I definitely think it is fascinating the kind of horror of horror that men and boys experience from growing up in a culture of toxic masculinity. Um, I recently saw the movie Men. Has, it, has either of you seen that? Mm-mm. So it's from the writer and director. The writer and director um, was the director, I think, of Annihilation and Ex Machina, which mm-hmm. I love both of them. So I was so excited going into it. And the way it was sort of positioned was that it was going to be this horror movie about this woman in a cabin who, um, you know, lives in our patriarchal society and therefore has to be afraid of men. And then like scary things start happening to her. Great. I was in, I started it really into the beginning. There's some very scary sequences. Um, and for me, it completely went off the rails and like, did not in any way encapsulate like the female experience of existing in a female, what we're talking about, right. Existing in a female form in, in the world. And, um, you know, I was like, maybe, maybe like white men shouldn't write movies hear me out. It was just the thought, maybe white men shouldn't write movies about the female experience of, you know, the horror, the inherent horror of the female experience. Maybe. And this is where I was like, what a missed opportunity. I really think we need more movies that, okay, if men are, if we're going to keep throwing money at men and greenlighting men's projects, which that's a separate conversation, but if men are going to be out there trying to do horror movies anyway, give us more about exactly what you just, what you just said, the sort of inherent horror of like, you know, growing up, not allowed to show weakness, show vulnerability, have emotions, express emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, That's completely rich and fertile, you know, soil to till for, for thrillers and for horror and for kind of related genres. Um, So I definitely think there's a ton there. I would like beg and encourage the male thriller authors I know to go into that instead of, you know, the way it generally is, is that women write psychological thrillers and then men write like political thrillers and like action thrillers and like it's just like you know explosions and planes and that's really fun too don't get me wrong and of course this is a generalization so there's lots of examples but um give me psychological thrillers and psychological horrors from the male perspective about that i couldn't i don't think accurately do it because i don't know that experience and yeah just the authenticity of it exactly like there's a reason that a white person didn't write get out like you would not get it right and yet for some reason we thought it was cool to have a man write this movie men um so so yeah i think there's tons i think you know patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism and colonialism and all of those things and sexism i think they all clearly 100% have a very negative and kind of horrifying effects on men and women and everyone and 
all humans who are participating in this society. Um, so I'm not out here to say like men are winning and, you know, women are getting the short end of the stick. Um, I think the world would be a better place to for, for men if they were uh, not existing as a part of toxic masculinity. Um, but I don't know that I'm the one to write it. That said, like I'm leaving this asterisk of if the right idea comes along or I end up writing from multiple perspectives and one is a man, like maybe I'll have a lot of fun with it. And, um, and, and I leave that possibility open and, and people have said, you know, men write female characters all the time. So I don't know why I think that I shouldn't write a male one. And you only, you only need to get one, right? Like you only need to, uh, you don't need to write for all men or summarize the entire male experience. You're just trying to write from the point of view of one. So we'll see, but right now I have so much more to say about what it's like to exist in a female form. Um, and I am less interested in sort of casting a light on, on uh, issues exclusively experienced by men. Yeah. And, and, you know, luckily we're moving into a world where we have people like Molly Sims, who's picking up your book, writers like you are writing these female stories, Reese Witherspoon, making it her Reese's book club and making her books into films. We call them Reese's pick and flicks. And she just like, it, it gets picked up. We're just saying, yeah. <laughs> we like, I like it. <laughs> and so she's helping perpetuate, you know, more and more women's stories from a female perspective and not men telling our stories. So, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's exciting that, you know, more women's voices are being lifted up and just more, more own voices, more voices that we traditionally haven't heard are, um, starting to get more of a platform and like, you know, the Hello Sunshine team, Reese's team has this really awesome writers program that's for, um, you know, emerging writers who would otherwise, um, have less of a shot of, um, getting their voice out there, whether that's because of their, their race, um, whether that's marginalized in different ways, it's people with, um, you know, different chronic disabilities and, and other things. Um, so I think it is very cool and very promising that we are, you know, beginning to open up more, just to platform more women and to sort of elevate women's stories. But that said, like, a lot of money got thrown to the dude who made men. And like, yeah. what if he had, what if he had, you know, decided to let a female screenwriter do it and he would direct it or have a co-writer or, and I'm just throwing this out there. What if instead of writing this, he like used that same energy to lift up the voices of people who actually, this is their lived experience. I don't know. Not that I have anything personal against this guy, but um, it just it struck feels like- forward it's it's yeah it's a it's a really clear trend where it's like oh another movie that's fills a Bechdel test that's like a war story that's that's what that's what we need I'm gonna have to watch it now because I I want to like see exactly what you're saying because I haven't seen it and I ex mine I was great and so you know like I feel bad if I'm like you know actually evangelizing it and more people are going to watch it as okay, I won't watch it. I won't watch it. I'll see it. If I see it in like Walmart or Target, I'll burn it. Okay. Not, thank you. Maybe I shouldn't do that, but I can do it. It's, it's yes. No burning of, of, you know, creative property, but um, yeah, if you do see it though, let me know. Cause I will be curious to hear your thoughts. We'll shoot you a DM. Okay. Okay. Awesome. We are going to have some sort of list on our blog post of all the different like TV shows and books we've mentioned. So for people who want to deep dive, deep, deep dive, you got the list. And so we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about some meaty stuff. So now we get into 
fun questions. So we uh, saw you just got back from Spain or are you still in Spain? Either way, we're jealous. Um, what is your favorite place you visited and what is your travel essential that is always in your bag? These are great questions. I actually worked as a travel writer before COVID. I was like concurrently writing books and doing travel writing. Um, so I traveled a lot. I took about one international trip a month for a few years, um, which now I'm like, God, where did I find the energy? Um, but yeah, I really love travel. I love the different experiences it brings. Um, and I love sort of, um, I, I think it's an experience that really builds your own sense of, um, trust in yourself and autonomy and just like belief that like, oh, if my wallet gets stolen on my first night in Budapest, which happened to me, like I can figure it out. If like XYZ snafu goes wrong, like I can, and I'm by myself, like I can figure it out. And that's just an empowering awareness that sort of infuses your whole life. And I just feel like by saying to women, like, here's the 800 things you need to do when you travel to prevent yourself from being attacked or robbed or killed or worse we're discouraging women from having that experience that would give them a lot of power. Um, but anyway, that did not at all answer your question. I just can't move on to the fun things, can I? Um, <laughs> my favorite place, God, Spain was so good. I just got back and we were in Andalusia, did um, Granada, uh, Ronda, little hill town and Sevilla. And it was incredible. I mean, favorite place I've ever been is maybe too hard of a question, but I will just say this was like a big enthusiastic 10 out of 10. Um, if you like, as a New Yorker, I just really like late nights. I love an energetic city. I love, um, you know, great shops and music and restaurants and, you know, nightlife and, um, Spain just has all of that and more. And, um, I felt like, everyone was really nice and really patient with my bad Spanish, which I really appreciate having been to like France, for example, where they pretend not to understand you. Um, so yeah, I would tell anyone, if you get a chance to check out Southern Spain, Andalusia, it's fully incredible. Um, and in terms of stuff I travel with, my travel essentials that's always with me, I... Let me think about this. I was like so many, I'm such a champion packer and now I'm just drawing a blank because it's the same few things. Um, I usually bring, especially if I'm traveling with someone else, I'll bring a little rope, just like a thin little silky rope. Um, and it just makes it so much easier when you like just got out of the shower or you just got home and you want to like peel off your sweaty clothes or when you wake up in your pajamas and you want to go get coffee, but you don't feel like putting putting clothes on. Um, it's just like a really lovely thing to have if you're in Airbnbs and stuff that, that won't have it. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend just packing a tiny robe. It doesn't take up very much space and then you don't have to be dressed all the time, which I find to be a super huge nice. win. Yeah. Super nice. Now, and you've just convinced like me to go to Spain. I've been to Spain along the coast, um, but I, I want to go back, but that sounds like something that uh, Laura and I would uh, tear up. Yeah, highly yeah. recommend. Just really endless fun things to do. Really good food and wine and drinks. And yeah, if you go, like hit me up, I'll send you some suggestions. Please. I yeah. also love a robe. Like mm. I actually like on my personal Instagram, there is at least two pictures of me in like a hotel robe or like my big, like when I got married, I was like, everyone had robes. 
I was like, what, what, what are we getting ready in? I was like, I don't care what you wear under it, but everyone is wearing this little purple silky robe because I am I the same way I had, I had a friend who the two of us are really into robes and he coined the term, uh, kimono files. We are kimono files. Like and that. some people, some people don't like robes. I found they just like, don't get it. And they're not a part of it. And so he dubbed them robophobes. Um, <laughs> So if you, you know, there's two camps, there's two kinds of people, but I really am big on the kimono file lifestyle. You know who has great robes? Chrissy Teigen. Really? Yeah. If you, if you give her a stalk or an interview, she loves to do an interview in a robe. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Huh. She has some beautiful choices. Exclusively yeah. interviewing in robes now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, did I, I've been doing it all wrong. I have like five <laughs> robes and I had to get rid of a bunch when my girlfriend moved in with me. And I was like, but someday I'll want to wear this one. <laughs> it's like, it's like Mora Rose with her wigs. I'm like, yeah. don't make me get rid of. You <laughs> did know, you name your robes? No, I have not named them. That would be a little bridge too far, but, but I do love them all. individually. <laughs> yeah. Summer robes, winter robes. Yeah. Um, so we ask all of the people that we interview, we ask the same question. What is your favorite book? The one that's torn up, has wine stains in the margin, notes in the margin. What is your fallback book when you just need something to read or something comfortable? Uh, it's so hard. Um, I hate that it's by a white man, but my favorite book since I probably discovered it in high school, maybe has been, uh, the Virgin Suicides, Jeffrey Eugenides. Um, and there's something about this book that like, I don't know, it's like, I don't know what's encoded in those words and what it is activating in my brain, but like I read it and I just instantly soak into this pose and it instantly inspires me and inspires me to want to write just beautiful haunting sentences that are also simple and spare. And I have not, I liked Middlesex and then I haven't liked any of the books that Jeffrey Eugenides wrote after this. So I cannot advocate for the further ones, but there is something about this book. If you haven't read it, it is just like, it's short. It's like 180 pages of just the most shatteringly beautiful prose. Um, so yeah, sometimes that's one that I've thumbed through so many times. I can just open it to a random page and read a little bit and it will inevitably kind of get my get my writing voice going, get that inner monologue that I need to, to get words on a page. Um, and I think my other one, I'm going to give two, cause I do want to give one that's a woman's book and that would be the bell jar. Sylvia Plath, um, which is also really beautiful prose, but I think it was the first book I read that I just, my jaw was on the floor from the way that it encapsulated experiences and sensations and feelings that like I'd never seen so perfectly put before. And, um, I think it really inspired, um, inspired my writing where I aim to capture really vulnerable, vulnerable, and, um, often even sort of shameful feelings that, I mean, don't tell anyone, but that I have, um, that I'm trying to capture, um, for, you know, capturing words and, uh, you know, in doing so hoping that people who read it will connect with this and sort of feel seen and feel connected and sort of feel less alone for having these thoughts that we really don't discuss thoughts and feelings that we really don't discuss in polite conversation. Um, so yeah, if anyone hasn't read the bell jar, ah, uh, I'm excited for you. So virgin suicides, bell jar add to TBR list. Yes. Immediately. Cause I've seen the movie of virgin suicides, not the same. 
not the same okay i mean and still i like i like the movie too don't get me wrong but i think i haven't watched that in 15 plus years the book is its own little magical thing existing in a bubble to me <laughs> 90 90 95 of the time the book is better than the movie it's true it's just the way it rolls so. well i was there's something i was telling someone about this is that um when you're looking like comparing the book to the movie there's things oh, when we were talking about like the first Bridgerton book versus the first season there's things in the book that tells you more about like their state of mind their motivation what's going on so you feel more because you're able to actually like you're entered into this world significantly deeper than like okay so the the, the glance across the table that they gave like 5.5 seconds because it's tv too was like seven pages in the book of like all these emotions and feelings and all that and so I actually liked the book more than the show after we I watched the show first and I love you know I love Bridgerton who doesn't um you know uh but there's so much more in the book that actually made me like I liked certain characters more than I thought I would and I like it just gives you so much more depth and meat in it that you know the world of the book is just to me endears you more to the material than than a show ever could yeah no I think you're right I mean even even if they do voiceover and stuff it's like watching a character do something will never be the same as reading about it and getting their full experience doing it it's just such a richer world and also just in terms of volume like a 300 page book they have to take out so much of it even to fit it into a season like there's just so much happening in a book and you don't notice it because you read it in like eight hours but um to actually turn it into action and to turn it into scripts they have to strip away so much of you know the subplot and the detail and just other stuff that's really gives it texture and, and emotional resonance so I agree I think you're absolutely right that the experience of reading it like cannot be matched by what's happening on the stage and occasionally there is that five to ten percent if you say 90 to 95 there are some that are just more fun on the screen and like god bless them for like whoever decided to adapt that like picked the right script and and actors and everything else but I think especially for you know kind of character studies and psychological thrillers or drama like there's just gonna be you'll get more out of the experience of reading it than seeing it and you get to paint the picture in your own mind. You get to trust your own brain. And, you know, there's obviously going to be some dissonance between what somebody else reads and gets from it and then what you read and get from it. So your version is always going to be better in your head. So that's true. That's definitely true. Yeah. Like if it says that a character is attractive and like you're picturing them, but then they cast an actor that you don't find attractive, <laughs> like, you know, like it's like a simple example, but like, yeah, suddenly you're like, well, I guess they didn't, I guess it's not an attractive character. Fine. Yeah. I guess I didn't like him as much as I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so to pair, we do books and we do wine. So what is your favorite beverage with or without, without alcohol? Oh, my favorite beverage. Um, Well, I thought you were going to say a pairing for the book, which would obviously be a Pisco Sour because the whole book starts with them at a Pisco distillery Mm -hmm. drinking Pisco Pisco Sour on a patio. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, a great beverage, but probably my favorite drink, um, my favorite alcoholic drink is a Negroni. It's just like a go-to it's, um, you know, it's herbaceous, it's sweet, it's bitter. It always is satisfying. Um, so, so that's probably my, when in doubt I order or make a Negroni. 
Nice. They also had a really good, like the renaissance of the Negroni has happened over the last like yeah. two years. Nice. So you can actually find them places now where you're like, let me walk you through the steps. Right. <laughs> you're like, it's only three ingredients. We got this. And then Stanley Tucci also made it on his, uh, during COVID on his Instagram, he made a Negroni and then he ended up making like a whole like book on cocktails, but well, yeah. that's delightful. Stanley yeah. Stanley with a Negroni, like what other cute Italian word can we throw in there? Like, no, it was proud. <laughs> just, just these hands. Just like yes, a little, just, just a lot of the Italian hands. <laughs> Chef kiss. Um, and of course we stalked you on social. Once again, thank you for answering our DM. Uh, we're now, I feel like this is like our notoriousness at this point where we'll just like slide into an author's DM and be like, Hey, <laughs> and, uh, so thank you first of all for answering us. Um, but so of course we stalked you on social, on social and two questions on our findings. Uh, we see that you have not one, but two fur babies pictured and, we have to ask, like, tell us everything. We need names. We need birthdays. We need star signs. We need to know. (laughs) Yes. Great question. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if you could see that my door was opening and closing as if by a ghost behind me, that was my cat deciding she wanted to be in and out of the room. Um, so that is little, (laughs) yes, yes, no question. Um, so that is my cat Mona. I got her right after my first book came out. So three, three plus years ago, she was a stray that I adopted from a shelter. Uh, she is the apple of my eye and a goddamn delight. And she's hilarious and sassy and um, really, really just like keeps me laughing all the time. Uh, and then our other fur baby is Zelda. Um, she, my partner adopted her, I think seven or eight years ago uh, before we met. And uh, she is a min pin mutt. She sort of looks like a chihuahua on really long legs. She is the gentlest, sweetest, derpiest little dog that's ever lived. She doesn't like play. She doesn't like if you take her to a dog park, she just sort of like sits and stares at you derpily. Um, and all she wants in life is to snuggle. Like, like if, if she could only do one thing, it wouldn't be playing. She likes food and she likes snuggling. And that's all she cares about in life. Um, and like so noble pursuits. <laughs> I mean, yeah, same. we combined households, uh, you know, Julia and Zelda uh, moved up to New York last June. And so they've, the animals have been living together for a year and they have a very peaceful coexistence um, and they mostly ignore each other. And then they occasionally accidentally cuddle, which is my favorite thing. Um, Cause they like, and now they have sort of a schedule where like in the morning, they both sleep on opposite ends of the couch. And then in the afternoon, they, they both move to the bedroom and they sleep on different corners of the bed. And like, it's just this really cute, like camaraderie. I feel like Mona and Zelda need like, I don't know, a graphic novel about them or something. Um, but they are just the cutest little things when we're watching TV, like Zelda will sit on one side of us and Mona will sit on the other. And it's like the whole family, all four of us are like on the sofa and then they both like to sleep in the bed and we try to discourage them, but like all four of us end up sleeping in a line and it's very cute. Um, so yeah, they are the best and I'm obsessed (laughs) with them. (laughs) And then, uh, we also saw that you have like a really fun TikTok account that has grown kind of significantly um so where you're offering writing tips why did you choose this medium 
And do you prefer like Instagram over TikTok or TikTok over Instagram? Do you have a preference? I think they're different. I think, I mean, I'm also on, I'm also on Twitter and I definitely think I prefer, I'll, I'll, I'm stuck doing all of them, but I definitely prefer TikTok over Twitter because Twitter feels like everyone's there with the clapbacks and the shade and like, I think it's important to be there. And there's a lot of sort of inside baseball with other authors, but I just feel like TikTok, um, I was sort of in between, I guess I wasn't in between projects. Maybe I was waiting for notes back on uh, one of my books from my editor. And so I had a little time and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try TikTok. I'm just going to like jump in, see how it feels. Like if, if it doesn't go anywhere, like no harm, uh, no harm, no foul. And I started making them and I just discovered the book talk community is like the loveliest group of people. And it's so many readers, like Twitter is all authors like tweeting at each other, but like TikTok is just readers who are so excited to connect with authors and to connect with fellow readers and to talk about books. Um, so yeah, I did some like upfront investment of just throwing a lot of stuff against the wall at the beginning um, and was like very lucky to have, um, have some posts do pretty well and then bring in new followers. And um, I sort of figured out that, you know, I do, it turns out, have a ton of writing tips after doing this um, full-time for five years. And um, so, so yeah, I really love like sharing writing tips, answering questions, connecting with readers, um, talking about my books. I kind of need to figure out how to get better about uh, also mentioning my books here and there instead of just giving tips. Um, but it's been fun. I don't know. Everyone's so scared of TikTok. I also think if I'm going to like bring it all back to issues, because I can't stop. Um, when can't I stop, started, won't stop. can't stop, won't stop. Like never, like I'll be in the grave and I'll still be like, but gender is a construct. Um, <laughs> I started making these TikToks and like, I didn't like the way that my face looked and I didn't like my voice. And like, isn't that true of all of us when you listen to a recording? I mean, you have podcasts. Um, and then I just, we made more and made more and made more and made more. And I just, it became very neutral to me. It finally just became like, that is what my voice sounds like. And this is what my face looks like on this little screen. And uh, I'm not going to like filter the hell out of it. I'm not going to like use weird ones that like put, I mean, and I should say occasionally I'm like, I'm going to put on a makeup filter because whatever. But for the most part, I've just gotten very used to what my face looks like. Uh, and not that I, not that I love it. Not that I'm like, I look amazing, but just neutral, which feels like such a win. And I recently went on Twitter where again, it's a, I'm connected to a lot of other traditionally published authors. And I just sort of made the case like, guys, there's not very many traditionally published authors on TikTok. Like they would, the community there would love to have you. And so many women came back to me and said, I can't do it because I hate seeing my face. I hate seeing my face. I can't do it. That was just over and over the reason. And I was like, wow, we have just taught women that there is something wrong with the way they look and that their only purpose in being in TikTok is to be beautiful. Like I'm not there as a model. I am there to like deliver value in some way to my followers, which I think is the point of all social media yeah. and all media for that matter. I mean, your podcast, my books, all of it. Uh, and like, who cares? It's just really, I found it so disheartening and sad that people were scared to connect with readers and share, you know, whatever niche content they were, they could share with the world. And instead they're holding it back because they would have to look at their own face. Um, so, so that's another reason that I'm like, God damn it. I'm going to double down on TikTok. <laughs> 
And, you know, that's awesome that you kind of found this like good growth moment when social media for so many other people is a place where it cuts you down and just people are mean. But in this place space, you're just like, hello, I'm yeah. awesome. Talk to me. I'll talk to you. Yeah, I'll talk to you. Safe. And like every that's once fine. in a while, somebody is still mean and that's fine. And then I get sad about it for a day because, of course, that's what you remember instead of any nice things. But you know, then we move on. Um, so I just really love that TikTok feels like not, not about the vanity. Um, and I love Instagram too. And I love, you know, talking books there and, and sharing. I do like, you know, my dumb stories about whatever is going on in my day. Um, but yeah, TikTok feels like this very direct, like love bath with readers, like this real community. Yeah. I know the flip side, I have a TikTok account. i also do cosplay. So like I have too many social media accounts that I'm on at one time. Um, it's also part of my normal job every day. <laughs> so, uh, but I had on my, per on my cosplay account, I made like a funny thing where it was like you, me, best friends for life. Like that was the audio as the character. And someone commented and was like, how about you get off of this and read a book once, blah, blah, blah. And someone popped on and was like, LOL, you should actually read her bio because she's on a book podcast. Like 90% of her time is reading. I was like, LOL, thanks, friend. I like had a friend pop on and like yeah. flat back for me. They got you. They picked the wrong criticism, like of all like dumb things to say. Like, I'm reading a book. I was like, mm, sir, excuse me, sir. <laughs> but I love that you didn't have to be the one to clap back. Your followers were like, out of the way, we got this. Like, women oh, supporting really women, friends. I got you, girl. Yeah. I'm at this. Um, but yeah, no, this whole TikTok community, I think has been really interesting uh, when the like elder generations have now joined. Cause I actually was starting to look at some of the more popular accounts on TikTok are older people. They're not like 15 year olds. <laughs> And uh, it's just interesting to me. Yeah. And as the audience, like nobody that I follow is 15. Like I'm sure there's no. lots of great 15 year old content creators making great content, but like, that's not who I follow. So it's just like, as more people have signed up that are older, like, of course the popular ones are going to rise in age too. But yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel too old for it. I'm just so, it's just so self-defeating. And so to be like, I'm too old for that. Like, no, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. You don't have to, but don't not do it because you don't like your face a or b like think you're too old because like there's granny talk there's like 80 year olds on it you're fine I cannot have tiktok because I know myself and that I will sit there and just scroll scroll <laughs> for hours and I, I I know that I will get absorbed and I won't do anything so that's why I've set my boundary I'll go on and selectively watch online because that's safe <laughs> but I can't have a feed can't have that is just knowing thyself. Like I applaud that. And when people <laughs> say like, I can't be on there because I just, or I had to uninstall it because I would like, you know, like lift it up and just like freeze for like four hours and then like get a hand cramp. Like, okay, you maybe shouldn't be on it. I agree. <laughs> I can put away Instagram. I can put away YouTube. I can do whatever. TikTok. It's like 30 second snips and I'll I know my time's friend. five hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do 30 second clips become five hours? It's, it's the magic of TikToks. I mean, YouTube has gotten me a couple of times. So I just know TikTok will be worse. The rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you wanted to share about We Were Never Here or about writing or 
the struggle of being a woman or oh my <laughs> god yeah you don't want me to start going off on more tangents about that last <laughs> one um yeah so we were never here is my most recent but as you mentioned i have two more they're called the last night and the herd um and especially if you enjoyed we were never here but if you enjoy you know feminist thrillers and psychological suspense in general you might like uh the earlier ones as well often people read it read we were never here and then they're like i can't wait to read whatever's next and i'm like if you don't want to wait a year there's two yeah. others that are <laughs> quite, quite similar they in fact have the same author um but yeah and i like love connecting with people i'm andy bartz a-n-d-i-b-a-r-t-z on uh twitter tiktok and instagram uh, and my website is andreabarts.com um there's a newsletter that pops up that is like seriously not fancy and very infrequent but it it'll tell you when there's like a great sale or when my next book is uh, available for pre-order and stuff like that um so yeah i just love hearing from readers and i would be really curious to hear what people thought about all these issues we discussed today so hit me up absolutely and everybody go by we were never here in paperback on july 5th so you can get all of the bonus content because that's what we're going to be doing Woo. so and then all right so quick question so did you did say it's going to have a snippet of your next book does it have a title the next book is called the spare room and it will be coming out june 2023 so we're about a year out and literally when we hang up, I will be returning to the revisions I am desperately trying to work on. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate your time. We both do. Like, thank you so much. Thank this has you. been awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for reaching out and for having me on. And um, yeah, I hope you, I hope you like the paperback. <laughs> we will. And uh, we look forward to speaking you uh, with you again when sp the spare room comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Pencil us in. <laughs> for sure. Cannot wait. <laughs> All right, well, thank you. you. Have a good one. Bye. Have a great day. You too. Will to the who. What an incredible chat with Andy. Oh, God. Uh, I love when we get dumbfounded where we're just like, we don't, we don't have words. Just please. Please keep talking. Like you, you, you're brilliant. Keep speaking. Yeah. <laughs> you being smart makes us sound smart. <laughs> Do the smarts for us, please. <laughs> please continue smarting. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed talking to her and it, uh, you know, made me, I, I thought a lot about the book as I was reading it and just a, of it when I was reading it, but she kind of like, really cleared up some things for me as we yeah. were discussing made made it all make a bit more sense yes mm -hmm. and just she's just such a great author and advocate for women so thank you again to andy for coming on the show be sure to grab your paperback copy of we were never here which releases in stores july 5th july 5th um and she did drop some announcements in our interview of some pretty exclusives so definitely uh, take advantage of that. Enjoy that book. And we really appreciate Andy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And you know that you've already sold two paperback copies because we want all the extra details. Need that bonus content. Yeah. And we hope everyone is enjoying your summer so far. So please tag us in your summer reading photos on Instagram. We're at Decanterbury Pod. And feel free to yell at us on Twitter. Um, our handle is also at DeCanterburyPod. 
and feel free to send us a direct message via Instagram uh, or an email at decantropod at gmail.com. If uh, you have any book or wine recommendations, um, we just, we would love for you to get involved and yeah, even if it's, even if it's not in a full episode, we'd love to do a mini. So just to kind of talk about things that y'all like and want to talk about. So let us know what you're interested in. We're, we're here to please you. Absolutely. And Decanterbury Tales is an independent podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. So help share the word by subscribing, liking, and writing us a review. It is truly the best way to share your support. And we need to tell you what we're reading in July. Before we tell them what we're reading, mention again, if you're in Jackson on August 20th, come see us at the Literary Festival. Mississippi Book Festival. Mississippi Book Festival. Literary on the Lawn. Huh? Literary on the Lawn. It's it's the Literary Lawn Party, Mississippi Book Festival, and we'll be in like the community area. Okay. I, I liked that alliteration, so I wanted that to be uh it's lovely. On. it's lovely yeah. yeah um yeah uh so come so. see us and then yeah if you come see us in august tell us how you liked our july book and how you're liking our august book that we're not announcing yet but for our july book we are throwing it back to one of our favorite reads mine of last summer laura read it earlier this year and we've been we've been doing a lot of rom-com reading and I hate to say it nothing's really holding up like Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren held up that was such a winner to the point that we are going back we are taking it back for you guys because Uh, we want to talk about it we do we've covered it on a mini-sode not enough so much to talk about I loved it so much and the cover's so pretty is pretty so you know we love a good cover and we loved this book so we're excited to actually spend a whole month talking about it in a full-length episode um hopefully we'll get to talk to christina lauren so if you guys want us to talk to her start tagging her on instagram and telling her she's come talk to us yeah uh, we will definitely do our due diligence but the more eyes on it the better and so hopefully we'll get to chat with her next month yep and go pick that book up when you go pick up the paperback copy of we were never here And uh, we can't wait for you to read with us. Yeah, have a great rest of your month and we will talk at you guys pretty soon. Bottoms up. Stay weird. Bye-bye.